here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Good morning, folks. Good afternoon. If you're listening in the afternoon, Sean Zock and Dylan to chair the drop zone. We have a ton to discuss. The Players' Championship, the quote-unquote fifth major, just wrapped up in the sleaziest way, the kind of the craziest way. Cameron Smith is your champion. Sleaziest? Well, just the way things kind of went down there towards the end. It was a grease ball winning the winning the thing and doing it in a kind of sketchy fashion. But Talking about Cameron Smith's hair already? Yeah. Plenty to discuss on... The front of his hair on the front of his punch shots and uh, the, what, 10 birdies he made today. But before we get into all of that, Dylan, can you please get us into our dual sponsorship? Yeah, I mean, it's just a discount bonanza on the drop zone today, Sean. Um, I mean, if you have not geared up for the golf season yet, that's actually great news because we have got just the stuff for you. Uh, it starts with the freshest apparel in the game from Radmore Golf, our presenting sponsor. Uh, this is a Seattle-based apparel startup run by two former college teammates at the University of Washington. Um, they've had success in the fashion world outside of golf, and now they're bringing that back to golf, which means we've got the freshest, comfiest, best-performing shirts, pants, sweatshirts, hats, basically all the stuff that we're wearing right now. Um, I was wearing it at the Players this week kept getting asked, you know, what is that logo? What, you know, what do you got on there? Um, and now we're basically giving them away, Sean. We're, we've got a discount code. If you go to radmoregolf.com, that's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com and use the code DROPZONE, that's D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, you get 25% off, 25% off your first order. Um, so go make that first order count. Get your Radmore gear. I would recommend, oh my God. I mean, any of the pants, they're like the most comfortable pants I've ever worn. And yes. of course, the most sustainable golf brand that you're going to find on the market. So check out radmoregolf.com. Use the code DROPZONE. Go to town. But wait, there's more. Exactly, Sean. That's what I was hoping you are going to say. I want to tell you about my new Rockform G-Rock speaker. I mean, it's the it's got to be the best golf cart speaker that's been made, Sean, because it's been designed exactly for that purpose. Uh, candidly, have not gotten a chance to use it on the course, but we're just on the cusp of golf season here in Seattle, and I can't wait because right now this thing is magneted to my desk, <laughs> and I have to tell you the functionality of my desk is basically the same as a golf cart, um, and that's part of it. There's powerful magnets that grab the cart. They don't let go. There's amazing sound. I can speak to that. It's waterproof. I have not tested that bit out yet. Uh, it's got a rugged drop-resistant design just in case anything crazy happens. 24-hour battery life. Yes. It doesn't even use up a cup holder in the process, and you can pair speakers for stereo sound, Sean. And guess what? We've got a discount code for people. Wow. DZ20. If you go to rockform.com, that's R-O-K-F-O-R-M, and enter the code DZ20 you're going to get 20% off your G-Rock speaker. That's just a lot of good news to bring to the people, Sean. It doesn't well, feel like I just like that sponsors and and sponsorships that really give something, right? Like I'm I'm just like tired of the oh, you can get 10% off or you can get 15% off. Both of these are 20% off or more. So, 
giving you a, a good chunk of change. Yeah. Um, Sean, let's talk about, well, let's talk about Cameron Smith first. I would like to pose a question to you to just to guide this discussion, uh, at okay. least the beginning of it. It was a, it was a, a question that was posed by our boss Alan Bastable in the Slack channel. He said, "Is Cameron Smith clutch? I can't tell. Why did he ask that? Because Cameron Smith made every putt he looked at today, but he also hit some of the squirreliest, weirdest shots that I've ever seen coming down the stretch. His tee shot." On 16, travel about 150 yards or something before it hit the trees. It was like Rory's tee shot on 10 at Augusta a couple years ago. His punch out on 18, a moment in which you just got to get this thing in the fairway. You have a three-shot lead. He almost played his way out of the victory, but then, of course, got up and down from about 50 yards uh, by hitting it really close. So is Cam Smith clutch? A hundred percent yes. I mean... Is Cam Smith susceptible to the pressures of final round? I I mean, sort of selectively, but I, this is one of the most insane performances I can remember seeing in a big event was Cameron Smith on the greens today, specifically the beginning of his round. And then uh, I guess the entire back nine. Um, can you, I can, mean, can you roll through the scores that he made? Just Yeah, I'd love to. Let's start at number <laughs> one. He made a birdie, Sean. At the second hole, he made a... Oh, I guess we should say, on number one, he made a 38-footer for birdie. On uh, number two, he made a 9-footer for birdie. On number three, he made a 9-footer for birdie. On number four, he made a 10-footer for birdie. So those are four birdie putts to start, none of them inside nine feet. Um, then number five, he makes a par, which is actually the most radical thing that he did on the front nine, because then he made another 10-footer for birdie at number six. Then he took a quick break. Um, he <laughs> missed so a six-footer for par Spent on Spent an seven. hour making bogeys. Yes. And uh, then he made another bogey on number eight, which looked like about the hardest hole of all time today. Uh, and then at number nine, he made a pretty inexplicable bogey after a bad tee shot, a bad second shot, a unremarkable third shot, a bad putt, and then another bad putt. That was... You know, maybe his worst hole of the day was bogeying nine because he just hit a bunch of kind of mediocre shots in a row. So, Sean, to recap, he made the turn at two under 34, but he had already racked up five birdies. He was five under through six, then he bogeyed seven, eight, nine. And then <laughs> you won't believe what happened next. Um, at number 10, he nearly holed his approach shot. So this is his first birdie putt that's inside nine feet because uh, it was about eight inches another birdie 11 he hits and uh gets a nifty up and down on this you know shortish par five another birdie 12 is uh that drivable par four or at least was set up to be drivable today uh he left his tee shot kind of hung it out to the right and then just hit a saucy little spinning uh chip shot pitch shot in there to about three feet so another kick in for birdie and then just for good measure hit a really nice tee shot at 13 and curled in a 12 footer for birdie so front nine he made a bunch of long putts back nine he just started hitting it to like you know kick in distance then made a nice putt on 13 and frankly that was not even like <laughs> that was barely enough right it was barely enough because 
Well, I mean, we'll get to this, but there was just, there was chaos happening. So until the end of this streak, until these last couple birdies, everyone was hanging right with him. I think at nine under, there were five dudes tied at one point. It was like yep. Cameron Smith had just stuck it on number 10, but he had not putted in yet. So in the meantime, all these other guys, you know, tied him up. And then at various points, it looked like Paul Casey, uh, Anurban Lahiri, Keegan Bradley were all potentially going to take the reins, but Smith just never let that happen because he just kept making birdies. And then he started getting in trouble, Sean. 14. Uh, he hit, you know, a poor tee shot. He got in trouble. He pitched it to 14 feet, and then he f- freaking made that. I mean, it was, it was like unbelievable. It started just being that anywhere – he was on the green. The ball was going to go in the hole. He hit it in the bunker on 15 green side, pitched it out to eight feet. Boom. Made that just dripped it right in the center. Uh, 16 then hit, I, I guess made by far his worst swing of the day. Snap hook. I don't know how far it went. Uh, looks like it went 179 yards <laughs> with driver on a par five. That is a rare thing for a professional golfer, a PGA tour player to hit driver on a par five and have it not clear 180. Um, but but then he took his medicine, pitched out, and this was maybe the pivotal moment of the day. There were a few, but the, the fairway wood he hit onto the green from about 240 out on number 16 to, you know, give himself a great chance at par. Um, that was a big time moment. Stopped the bleeding. It ended up being that Paul Casey had to work harder for his par than Smith did for his. Um, and then, Sean, how would you describe the shot that he hit on 17? Uh, unintentional. Unintentional. That's one. I mean, heroic, like kind of incredible. Unbe- I, I, I thought he was going to hit it in the middle of the green. I suspected he might get himself into trouble trying to be too safe because he had a couple shot lead at this point. Um, sort of the way Keegan Bradley did, he was probably feeling decent about his position in the tournament and played it too safe, hit it to the middle of the green, spun it back to the front, wound up making bogey like there. You can't really play it safe on 17 or you get into trouble instead. Smith's tee shot. I don't know. What was it? Probably six feet right of the pin spent its entire flight over the water until it landed. Yeah. The line on which he's his ball landed and and took the entire time. There's like there's like a two paces where you could actually hit it, have it drop. Um everyone is hitting pitching wedge into that green like all day long. He kind of hits a lower flighted nine iron. Uh it worked out. It's the to- the kind of thing that you know, he was his caddy was probably aware of how many balls are left in the bag because he was about to start reaching for one of them. Didn't have to made the birdie putt, moved on to 18, made a mess of 18. Anyone who's listening to this podcast knows what happened that camp Smith won. But I think, I think, you know, the first 13 holes, one par just kind of goes to show that this guy was all over the place. But what was fun is there are just these moments that happen like a couple times a year on the PGA tour where these guys, that are on they're they're probably a top 10 player in the world and they're just so dialed in with their putter that you know they're going to make the putts 
Um, and that, or, or if you're betting against them, you're really worried that they're going to make the putts that if you're competing against them as a player, you're like, damn it, we have to count that he'll probably make it. It used to happen with Spieth, like back in 2015 with like every 20 to 25 footer, you're like, damn it, this guy's going to make it. He's on fire. It happened with Patrick Cantlay last year in the FedEx cup playoffs, right? Where he's facing off against Bryson in this endless mm-hmm. playoff at the BMW and every 20 footer that he stared at was going in Cameron Smith felt like that today and like I said this comes around like once once or twice a year on the PGA Tour uh, and that happened today and that's what makes it so fun to watch yeah I mean like fantastic iron play paired up with a red hot putter and then also paired up with the chaos of you know what he was doing on the other holes third to uh, last off the tee of the players who made the cut third to last that will never win you a PGA Tour tournament. Like that doesn't third to, happen. Third to last, what's that? Strokes gained. Strokes off gained tee. off the tee. He literally lost five <laughs> strokes to the field just with his tee shots this week. And that I'm telling you, man, it just does not happen on the PGA Tour. It, you are. Are you, you telling me I should not say driver show? Driver <laughs> show puffer dough. Yeah, exactly. Don't say. Don't say it. It's crazy. Um, but. It happened. So, how about putting? What were his putting numbers like? Uh, he finished second because he gained eleven and a half strokes putting. He gained four strokes alone on Sunday putting. Yeah, he was I mean, second on Sunday, first overall. By a, you know think, what? You're right. Margin. You're right. You're right about that. Um, uh, how about gaining six and a half shots approaching the green? That'll get it done if you're going to be in the top five in strokes gained approach and number one in strokes gained putting. You're probably going to win the golf tournament. Um, well, I mean, w- what struck me about Cameron Smith was just that he looked so unflappable. It's funny, after the round, then he suddenly wasn't. Uh, I mean, he, he was he was emotional, talking about his family. He hadn't seen his mom in over two years because uh, she's been in Australia. He's been in Florida. He's been traveling for golf, etc., he said for these few weeks, the focus was really just on seeing his family, hanging out with his girlfriend, his sister, his mom, and and that golf took a back seat. Um, and he was answering interview questions, both initially with Catherine Tappan and then later with Tariko in these like short staccato answers because he was starting to get choked up each time. Um, and mm-hmm. so he was like really limiting himself. But gosh, you wouldn't have known it from the way he was bouncing back from everything on the course. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of Xander's gold medal winning shot on 18. The, uh, the pitch shot that he hit after taking the drop on 18, that little wedge that he nearly hold out. Um, yeah, just reminded me of that because it's like, after you've gotten yourself into some trouble, how do you respond? How do you not go from bad to worse? Yeah. Um, because there was definitely a world there where, honor bond was coming for him from behind suddenly back in the golf tournament i think a lot of tour events whittle their way down to moments like that where when you're standing on the tee box on 18 there are all kinds of ways in which you could blow your three-shot lead there really are um there there's (laughs) unlimited number of ways you could hit two tee balls out of bounds left you could blow it right behind a tree right you could you know hit into the middle of the fairway and then you're you could overcook your, uh, you know, a draw into the green, but by the time you reach that little zone where you're like, okay, I've given up at least one shot here, 
I can't give up two. I need to get up and down. Like that's when the reality hits. And I think maybe some of the um, potential like paths that you take, they all kind of verge into one. Like, okay, it needs to be up and down. It needs to be from 50 yards. It's got to be up and tight. And then I'll have to make an easy putt. When that reality hits, I think is when guys, it's not that they take it more serious, but I think they show off their abilities to play clutch golf a little bit better. And that's what we saw. I do wonder if, if he's pushed by a top 10 player, I know Victor Hovland was like sort of pushing him, but like Hovland kept going like forward and then reverse and then back forward and then back in reverse uh, throughout the day, especially with the short game. Like, especially once he got to Daniel Berger and started backing <laughs> over him. But if like, if a player of, of like, you know, does Cameron Smith chase down John Rahm or someone like that today? Mm. I'm not quite sure. Um, we he was a front runner today, no doubt. I mean, he saw that he was like the racehorse. Once he saw the lead, he was mm-hmm. just boom. Yeah. Well, I mean, except for a little bit of a stumble in the middle of the race there. But yeah, Sawgrass, you can't play prevent defense no. there. There's not like I was thinking about that on 17 and 18. Both of them, if you. I mean, obviously on 17, if you don't hit the green, you're toast. And even if you try to play it safe, you end up doing the Keegan thing, three putting for bogey. That's not good. But then 18, like obviously you can't go left, but blowing it right is really no picnic. Um, We saw a lot of dudes hit it from the right trees into the left water this week. The whole plays a lot. A couple of weeks. It plays a lot like the 13th hole at Augusta. It's just par four, not a par five. Like, interesting like like so many guys hit hit driver or three wood and they try to turn it over and if they hit it too hard they, they cook it over too much they're obviously like a bigger hazard left but there's mm-hmm. trees out to the right that they like will be comfy kind of hitting a block into and then suddenly they have to hit a punch shot out they just have one fewer stroke to do it and uh it's kind yeah. of interesting to watch them do one that. fewer stroke and then that fairway really really likes to feed into that water i mean once you get going across in the wrong direction. I, I thought when Cam Smith hit his ball, it still looked like it might be okay, but it just kept cruising over there. Um, yeah, man, TPC Sawgrass is a fun tournament golf course. There was so much turbulence on the leaderboard. I mean, it felt like dudes were shooting the full range of scores that were in contention. Like Cameron Smith shot 66. Ever. <laughs> It did, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Painful. Dustin Johnson shot 63. There were a bunch of eagles flying around. And then there was also like, you know, random ejections. Sam Burns, I thought at the beginning of the day, was like the most logical player to win this thing. Guess where he finished? Uh, deep. Yeah. T26. He shot 76. Uh, one of the highest rounds of the day. Did that from the, I think the second to last group. A um, couple other guys, Louis shot 76. Francesco blew up at the end with four bogeys, shot 74. Uh, John Rahm, how could I forget, shot 77. Scotty Scheffler shot 76. Sungjae shot 76. Yeah, I mean, wow. Once you scroll down, there are some plenty of mid-70s scores hey, on the leaderboard today. Your boy played pretty well on Sunday starting off tied for 61st keegan rory bogey where did rory finish bogey free 66 out of rory mcelroy wow. once he had played his way out of the tournament 
Oh, extremely man. on brand. Uh, and, you know, one of these days, Rory's going to prove Bogey me wrong. Bogey free, huh? Bogey free on Sunday. You say it's such a tricky course. Not for Rory today. Um, let's let's first talk about Honor Bond because we, we, have, a, we have plenty to yes. discuss with Berger and Hovland and Joel Damon. But first with Honor yes. Bond. Let's talk about Honor Bond, the, my composed king. Yeah, very composed. I mean, I mean the, the tee shot he hit on 18, knowing he needed to make birdie, absolutely rips driver, um, made a good run at it for birdie, hits, basically hits it right at the flag on 17 when he know he needed to make birdie there and then makes the birdie. That guy did not back down despite kind of the, I would say the lion's share of media attention throughout the weekend when it's like, hey, this guy's not ranked in the top 300. This would be the greatest victory in the history of Indian golfers on the PGA Tour. This would be this would obviously change his life. Uh, I think it still yeah. changed his life. He made over $2 million today, um, moved up over 200 spots in the ranking, uh, the, the world golf ranking. But yeah, he did not back down. He was pretty stone cold. Uh, I, at some point, I, I was kind of pulling for him and for Cam Smith to fall on his face a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he was awesome because he did it in such a different way. What he what happened on number? Well, I guess just to start off, he started off rock solid. I think that you worry with a guy like that who has been hanging around the lead for a while and doesn't feel like he belongs there that he could make a quick ejection. But he hung in there. Made birdie at number four. Um, I think was tied for the lead for a while still there. And then number eight, which was playing very difficult. I imagine it was the hardest hole of the day. Um, 230-something yard par three, which with the wind in your face was playing over 260. And he tried to jump on a four iron and just hit the biggest double cross. It went left. It went deep into a bush. He <laughs> took a drop. He took an unplayable, like straight sideways. They were clearing out people with, you know, barbecue sandwiches and drinking tea and Coca-Cola at tables. And I mean, it just felt like, okay, things are suddenly moving very quickly. Does this drop even make any sense? Somehow he gave himself a drop where he was standing on pine needles, which seemed like a bad idea. Um, yeah, but you can lift but, it you from know, pine needles. Yeah, this is true. But you can also slip out. <laughs> uh, but he made his five, made his double bogey, moved on to the ninth, made birdie there, and it was like game on. Every time he had a six to eight foot par putt, he made it. Did not make a single bogey on the day, Sean. A bogey free round. Wow. Just with one double. Uh, an he, electric eagle at 11. He, he, he was awesome. He was in the wilderness for a couple years. Dropped outside the top 400 in the world ranking. He, you know, he, he, I guess he contended a couple years ago to win on the PGA Tour at the Memorial. Uh, he is, he, he's, he would not have been the first uh, PGA Tour winner from India, but he might be the best golfer in PGA Tour history to come from India. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's played in the Olympics a couple different times. He is, he's definitely of the ability to win on the PGA Tour. But I guess like, I don't know, this might, this might be the greatest day of his life at this point. This might be the greatest day of his <laughs> career. Um, and he was so locked in and, and obviously like extremely beaten down when it didn't come through, but a huge, huge like stepping stone. This is a guy who, who is, you can't really mention him at this point without mentioning like his meditation practices. 
I know a couple of years ago, um, this is just like a little tidbit for the the drop zone faithful. This guy did what's called Vipassana meditation training, which is essentially going for an entire week to a like a like a basically an adult camp where no one says anything to anyone. There's no speaking. It's a silent treatment camp. And he went there in the middle of his like 2017 season to get away, to clear his head. Uh, this guy takes meditation extremely seriously. And I just thought yeah. that, that that's kind of like, if, if you didn't know who Honor Bonlahiri was when you were watching the Players' Championship on, on Monday, uh, that's one thing you can learn about the guy is, is he's extremely talented, one of India's best, maybe one of India's best of all time, and is like willing to take it deep in the meditation game. Yeah, he's a cerebral cat. I mean, I tweeted out just one of his press conference answers at the beginning of the week, uh, which, frankly, I'm not sure why my man had a press conference at the beginning of the week. Normally, that's you know reserved for like the true A-list members of the PGA Tour. But he went deep. He was awesome. He was talking about his struggles. I don't think he had finished in better than 40th in 14 starts. Um, missed a bunch of cuts in a row. And so he was asked, you know, look, what's the roadmap forward? And he said, the beauty about what we do is that you're one week away from being a PGA tour winner. You're one week away from being at Augusta. You're one week away from having a two, three year exemption. You're one week away from you, you being the reporters, having a different kind of conversation with me. And I like that. I was really struck by that. Um, highlighted that bit, sent it out, kept thinking about it. And, you know, he, he just put it out there in the universe. And sure enough, by the end of the week, here we are having a very different type of conversation about him. Yeah. Um, he did not get the exemption to Augusta, but what he did get is some very comfy assurances that he will be on the PGA Tour next season, Yeah. Uh, which was not true until today. He was number 209 in the FedEx Cup oh. standings. Um. It's yeah, it's it's just cool. It's cool to listen to this guy talk. He was talking about how, yeah, big picture, he wants to be happy. And what makes him happy? Playing good golf. And what does he need to Same. do to play good golf? He yeah, I know. What does he need to do to play good golf? He needs to hit his irons better. And so ultimately, what's gonna bring him happiness? Like any of us, hitting his irons a little bit better. So we worked on that. He did it. And like, here we are, it, it's it, listening to him talk. He makes things sound extremely simple. Um, and we know they're not that simple. Speaking of someone who has recently hit their irons better exactly two months ago, I had a Shanks episode that I discussed. Where, where are we on that? Can we get a status? I, I did not hit a golf ball in the last two months since that Shanks episode. I told you it was ski season. It's not golf season. And yeah. We are now in golf season. I had my first simulator session since. Zero shanks, absolutely peering it, ready to take take down the handicap. Um, but right. enough about me and my golf. Can we talk about the rules dispute between Daniel Berger, Joel Damon, and Victor Hovland on Sunday? On the 16th hole, you need to like, anyone who's listening at this point, probably they probably saw it. They probably care. They probably want a little bit of an explanation of what the hell was happening. And I know that you watched it all. Yeah, back. log on to golf.com. Go check things out. There's a nice, nice story that I compiled. <laughs> Is that right? I mean, it's funny, Sean. I, I went through the ESPN 
feed. I was rewinding. I was transcribing. Um, and then of course they just tweeted out the entire exchange like five minutes after I finished the, uh, the story. Uh, but actually good on them for doing that. Have you noticed this about the PGA tour there? It's, it's really dating back to last year, I guess they are sending out the, all the clips they're putting people, you know, maybe not in their best light out on social media. It's a fantastic development. You could call it like the Netflix drive to survive development. Um, okay. But what happened here? Basically, Daniel Berger hit a weak, wipey, uh, horrible approach shot into the 16th. Yeah, it was a left to right wind and he hit a left to right shot and he hit it. He said, oh, man, water ball, something to that effect as the ball was reaching its apex. He knew it was he was right. He knew it it was done. It never got close to hitting the green, Uh, ended up in the water. He went a long way up to take a drop. Um, meanwhile, his playing partners, oh, Berger's at seven under at this point. Once he hits it in the water, yeah, he's done. It doesn't really matter in terms of winning the golf tournament, but this is the richest purse in golf history. This is big money. This is the end of a long, long week. I think that tensions were just kind of riding high. Um, you know, guys were probably feeling more stubborn than they might in any other circumstance. So, Maybe that contributed to this being a more tense discussion than it would have been otherwise. I'm not going to take a drop that that I don't feel 100% correct about. I'm not saying it's all the way up there, but it's not that there. I did not see the ball cut that much. We were on two different angles, and I I 100%, like it's not even a question in my mind, there's absolutely no way it crossed my mind. Like zero percent chance. Is it compromise between the two? I mean, it's, it's wrong. But if, if that's where you guys, well, I think, I think it's wrong. wrong. No, I'm telling you, it's wrong. We go where you feel you cross, all right? And if, if you guys are okay with it, I mean, that two saying one. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm not really okay with it being up there. I, I just. That's not really what I saw. You know what? I'm going to drop here for the sake of you guys, but you guys are you're wrong. Put a ball like, yeah, agree on it, and let's go. I'm not going to have these guys sit here and, and do that. I'm, I'm I am coming to a compromise, but it, it's, it's a wrong drop because it crossed way up there. Basically, there was a 100-yard discrepancy between where Berger was going to take his drop and where Damon and Hovland thought he should take it. At least 100 yards. Yeah. Because he ended up dropping at the end a really unsatisfying compromise. And he ended up dropping it 97 yards from the hole. Um, And I think that was 50 yards ahead of where they thought he should be dropping it. Compromise. It was interesting to see this dynamic because, you know, so Joel Damon didn't didn't talk to uh, the media afterwards. Um, And I texted him to say, hey, look, you want to talk about this? He basically said, no, I'm going to leave this discussion to you guys. You know, we have these discussions all the time. This one was just, you know, a little bit different, essentially. Um, And I think that the way it was different is that both sides were not going to back down. Um, Everyone always backs down. That's literally the system is that you agree on something. So when you can't agree on something, they called in a rules official. They asked the camera, uh, the video is inconclusive. And the rules official was like, Look, the process here is that you guys figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor Hovland said, I'm not comfortable with where you're going to drop it. He he put his foot down. 
Daniel Berger said, I've never taken a bad drop in my life, which was an awkward thing to say right before he then started talking about how he was taking a bad drop. The whole thing was a mess. What did you make of it? My first real takeaway was like, does Victor Hovland speak up as the younger tour player, the younger player in general, if he doesn't have Joel Damon's backing? Because generally we don't play in threesomes on Sundays. On the weekend, it's generally in pairs, twosomes. This would be Victor and Daniel playing together, just those two, at which point like you don't have the confirmation bias from another player coming in and saying, hey, you know, I saw it that way. It's so much easier for the two guys who aren't involved to say, no, buddy, you did not do that that well. Um, From what I saw, I think Berger was not correct in what he was doing. I think you agree with that. Um, the fact the yeah. fact that there was some weird compromise, it's like either Berger's right or you guys are right. And what's in between you is not right. Like compromising in the middle is actually wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, this way you just guaranteed that it was incorrect. Yeah, I guess uh, it we talked a couple weeks ago during the Honda of just how fiery of a player Berger is and how he often thinks that he's right. And I think he is a, I do think he is like an extremely um, stand up and trustworthy player when it comes to the rules. There's much has been made out of him going over and checking in on Patrick Reed. I think it was at the masters when Patrick was taking, mm-hmm. taking a drop in oh, the yeah, pine straw. Awesome screenshot of, I don't think it's the masters, but yeah, there's an awesome screenshot of, you know, just Berger looking like a sergeant, yeah. just staring over. Yeah. So I do think Berger knows, he knows the rules about as well as any tour player. I don't think he was trying to to cheat. I just think he might have been wrong. We will never know. We don't have the forensics. We don't have the overhead. I mean, it was the 16th hole. There's got to be some alternate angles, right? Yeah. Blimp, but I don't think it's cam. really in anyone's best interest to for those to get out. Um, I, I just think it was an interesting dynamic because the whole self-policing nature of golf is uh really different and interesting and the players in particular tpc sawgrass has a lot of really weird cutouts um and where you're going to take your drop matters a great deal and it's also confusing i mean 18 is a perfect example a lot of the time you're hitting a right to left shot but if you're missing left you're in the water (laughs) so there's that question of how much did it hook versus and and where did it cross? Did it cross? That was the the big time irony here is that after they had this awkward exchange, things seemed, I'm sure, a little icy. On 17, Hovland had to get a ruling because he wasn't sure if his ball was on the green or not. So they had to call a rules official and he had to mark his ball. Ultimately was not on the green. So he had to leave it, missed his birdie putt. And then 18. He did exactly that. He overcooked his tee shot, left it, left in the water, like almost crossed, but definitely didn't quite cross. And, you know, you could imagine in a really chummy group in a, you know, low stakes environment, maybe someone would have been like, yeah, man, I think that crossed up there, giving him, you know, the benefit of the doubt for another 150 yards. But in this case, there was just no chance that that was going to shout out to Victor for speaking on it. Joel and Berger both did not want to talk to the media, like you said, and not that they have to, but 
if it becomes a part of the broadcast and a greater part of the discussion online, um, it's certainly something that's going to come up. And so young Vic, my guess with Joel is that he saw how nuclear the Sung Kang thing went (laughs) a few years ago. And he's probably like, I don't that it's not really beneficial for me to, you know, if he has aspirations of being on Daniel Berger's Ryder cup team, this is probably not a public feud that you want to like continue. Can we pivot very quickly to a story Keegan a, a, Bradley. fine for, for how many minutes Wait, can i first get something in here for how many minutes did you think Keegan I, need, Bradley? I need to say two things i'm first i'm gonna say i hope that everyone was listening on the drop zone last week when i declared that cameron smith would win the players championship do you remember this no <laughs> you're gonna have to have connor dig it up uh who's, uh, who's gonna, gonna win, win the, the players, players championship, championship. <sighs> cameron, cameron smith, smith. No, no. Is, this is why we should have pick segments more often. No, it's for like one for one. Uh, second of all, Keegan Bradley, much maligned Keegan Bradley for no reason. Looked at one point today like he might be able to uh, add to his stunning resume. Underrated golf career. Um, How many minutes, cumulative minutes over the course of today, did you think that he would win? Well, his best chance would have been appealing the USGA's horrible targeted rule against him where they ruined an, an all-time great round at TPC Sawgrass um, of, that Keegan played in horrible conditions uh, on Saturday and got penalized for having his ball marker down behind his ball and then the ball moving and him picking it up. Ridiculous stuff. Two-stroke penalty probably indirectly leads to him not winning the golf tournament. I'm saying this as a fully biased New England man, but I actually do think that the rule is ridiculous. Um, Also, this was just an inspiring reminder that Keegan Bradley is one of the best ball strikers in the world. Sean, since he's really been on tour, he has never finished worse than 36th in strokes gained tee to green. Never once. (laughs) And since they banned long putters, I think he has never finished inside the top 150 in strokes gained putting. Yep. So he's, he's a horrible putter. You're looking at a, if, if his ability was, um, was if, if his ability in all areas was the same as it was with the putter, he would not be a, a tour player. If his ability was across the board, what it is uh ball striking he would be Xander he would be John Rom yeah. yeah um did i ever think he was going to win ooh not quite but there were a couple moments there i mean if he if he he needed to stuff it on 17 and then he might win the golf tournament instead he hit an uninspiring shot three putted made bogey tournament over dumped away an extra million dollars on the 18th just <laughs> just cause um <laughs> but i was still happy for him well and if it makes you happy then it, then it makes me happy um i appreciate that dylan i don't know if you spent a whole lot of time on twitter or you know golf websites this week but you might have heard that this is a pretty big purse the players championship i did hear that i was continually reminded of it um, we, do you have do, any particular thoughts on how insane the purse did is? Did we did we make too much of it? 
That's my question because no, it was I don't think it so. was the only thing that every single person mentioned all week long, uh, and. I think we often mentioned it, especially on Sunday, with the fact that, oh my gosh, these guys are hitting these shots. Cameron Smith hit that shot into 17 with $3.6 million on the line. And I just, I want to get off my chest that I don't think that any of these guys were actually thinking about the money while they're just trying to win the golf tournament. Um, yeah, Cameron Smith is, is going to make over $50 million in his career. And, and by the time he's done... 15 years from now, 20 years from now, he might have made $100 million on course, off course. That's crazy. Like he's in the wrong position if he's like getting inspired or nervous by the actual money that's at stake in this tournament compared to last week's tournament, two weeks ago's tournament. Um, I know this is kind of like a bit of semantics on how we discuss the purse online, but it's a bit like poor people reacting to someone's really nice house. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe. Man, we're not getting that yeah, money. We're not getting that money. And the people who are getting that money are already multimillionaires. So that that's yeah. something I wanted to get off my chest as we freaked out about it because I'll remind you, two years ago, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, blowing up the entire sports world and the world at large, Jay Monahan said in his presser, look, the Players' Championship purse, it's going to be $25 million soon. So we're not even there, but we're going there and it's going there soon. So if we keep talking about it like this, every single time we play this event, it will really just start to, to wear on me and I think on like the message we're trying to send. Yeah, I think you're getting at something good there. And I think that that something is... I I care about the purses because I think that they reflect a tournament's importance. And I I have for a while now felt awkward about the fact that winning a normal PGA Tour event, winning the Wells Fargo or winning the Valspar or winning, you know, at at uh the Honda is going to get you not the same, but but a number that is more similar than it is different to winning a major championship, winning the masters, winning the U S open, winning the open. Uh, uh, I think in my world, you would get a, an astronomical number for winning those big events. And that would be part of what elevates mm-hmm. them. And, you know, maybe eventually we would get over talking about the money thing. We probably wouldn't because it's just low hanging fruit, but like, if the Honda Classic is worth $1.4 million or whatever it is, you should get $8 million for winning the US <laughs> Open. Like it should not be in the same class. Cause if you have the question of like, oh, would you rather win 10 PGA Tour events or one US Open? Something like that. Sometimes pros get asked stuff like that. Like the purses should somewhat reflect that, mm-hmm. where it's like, it's not just like 50% more money. It's like four or five times as much money. That's the, I'm with you. I think you're right. I think it is a little bit of like, well, yeah, look, if Joe at home was putting for $3.6 million (laughs) and he's got, you know, six hundo in the bank account, then yeah, that's going to probably affect him differently than Cameron Smith, who already said he's run out of ways to spend his money. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because the money thing is 
it's weird to me. They need to, they need to find more money for these majors. Yeah. Uh, and you know, who doesn't run the majors <laughs> the PGA tour. So that's it, right. If they t- maybe they reach out to Greg Norman. I didn't think that you were going to take up the, the take that like Webb Simpson and a couple guys shared, uh, from a month ago of like the players need to have more money funneled to them. I didn't expect that from you. Um, well, the reason why the U.S. Open purse yeah. is not going to be shooting up towards twenty million is because they can't quite pay the women uh, equal amount yet, and the same goes for the PGA of America. And yeah, I mean, I think we covered the ground on how that particular Webb Simpson take was <laughs> was pretty misguided and mistimed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, a couple of final things we got to get to. Why don't you tell people about Tiger's Hall of Fame ceremony? I think that's a good idea. Um, yeah, so it's funny. I actually, it's it feels like I've been home for a while now. I've actually only been home for a couple hours. I had the miracle of streaming on my flight today, Sean. You know, most airlines, like you know, a bigger airline, your Uniteds of the world, have their Wi-Fi dialed in to the point where, like, you're not going to be able to load a YouTube video. You're not going to be able to certainly not going to be able to stream live television. Alaska Airlines does not have that technology. There's nothing governing, yeah. you know, exactly what's going to happen. So I was uh, scheduled to fly back today, Monday, always from Orlando to Seattle direct and whatever hemmed and hawed about staying for the final day of the tournament ended up just coming back. Um, and I was able to stream the entire <laughs> way home. That's crazy. crazy. That is crazy. It made things fly by. I, I took off at seven in the morning, saw the entire morning thing. It's like a six-hour flight. It's not quick. Do you uh, do you think you're going to get to the Tiger Hall of Fame ceremony, or are you going to keep shout out to the travels? unregulated Wi-Fi at Alaska? Tiger's Hall of Fame ceremony was uh, it was cool. It was cool to see him with his family there. Um, it was really it was it was particularly special to hear Sam talk about Tiger in a way that, you know, she, she really is his daughter. And to him, to her, he is just a dad. And she wrote that speech. Like she, she delivered it from the heart. Uh, There was a nice anecdote in there. She meant it, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was this moment of seeing Tiger contextualized by two people that we've never really heard from and that's one his daughter and two himself Mm -hmm. i mean i think that i just didn't really even consider it because the golf hall of fame thing has never been a thing in the same way that it is in other sports like i have always been aware of guys giving induction speeches in the nfl and the nba and mlb you know like jordan's famous hall of fame speech i don't think that golf really has that cachet even within the golf world i don't feel like it's usually that big a deal um so it kind of snuck up on me a little bit and then there was tiger talking about his life and we only usually get that in sort of canned ways but this was tiger like all right tiger here's the floor what do you want to talk about what's your legacy what do you think is important when you're thinking about your golf life he did not mention major championships once. Uh, he talked a lot about being a kid. 
He talked a lot about his parents. Um, and then he talked about his support system and his family. So I just thought that that was very telling. Um, and it was much more moving than I expected. Yeah. Even if a lot of the ceremony before we actually got to Tiger was kind of... Slow. What's interesting is that what he will be remembered for is for being Tiger Woods, for being the guy who wins 15 majors, 82 PGA Tour events, everything that started you know, from the day that he was a junior amateur winning those events. Um, that's what he's always going to be remembered for by us. That's the Tiger that we know. And he hasn't really shared too much of those the behind the scenes with Steve Williams and the behind the scenes stuff with Fred couples, like he holds Mm -hmm. all that stuff so close to the vest. And I think what was, what was kind of cool is that I don't think he thinks of himself with those things in mind. I think he knows that he's the goat and I think he knows that like his achievements uh, are going to outpace everyone else's. But I think when he think, when he thinks of himself and he thinks of what got him there, he thinks of, playing golf and sneaking on a golf courses with his dad. Like those are the, those have yeah. to be the cheeriest memories that he has from an entire life in golf. Like this was the guy who was on late night shows, hitting golf shots at two years old. Like his entire life has been in golf and we will always remember him for the championship part of it. But like the championship part of it, it can't ultimately be that too, um, happy for him it's probably gratifying but like it was also marred in uh a gigantic scandal and in ridiculous amount of injuries and surgeries and life or death experiences um multiple of those so i I just think like when he when he has now been forced for the past year to like just recollect everything and to kind of think about like what golf has meant to him it's no wonder that he goes back to the, the, the warmest memories. And I guess what was coolest yeah. for us is that we didn't really know about all those. I don't think I'd ever heard about him sneaking onto a course by like hiding under some leaves. And then his dad pulls up in the no. golf cart yeah. and, and says, Hey tiger, come on, let's go. And then they play however many holes until darkness. Like, I guess hearing those, it humanizes him more. You know, we've thought about this guy, as being a robot and he very much is a robot, a golfing champion robot. But, um, I guess it was, it was cool to hear those things that mean the most to him. Yeah. It made me a little bit sad. And I think that that is maybe the opposite of the point. I mean, it made me feel, you know, good and happy for him too. And, and listening to Sam made it sound like tiger really does have now the family that he was looking for but i don't know i mean the fact that he he, it almost feels like there was this middle of his career this like prime that he now he refuses to talk about share it with (laughs) he refuses to address it who and who who has he talked about it with i mean i don't know i just watched the tom brady documentary recently and Brady brings in people, he brings in buddies and teammates and opponents uh, to talk about each of the years. And for each year that he went to the Super Bowl, there's new guests because, you know, it's Tom Brady and he's in a team sport and he's had all this success and there's an endless supply of relevant figures. With Tiger, it's not the case. Like the, yeah. the person that he shared most of these experiences with 
is Steve Williams. <laughs> they don't really Who's speak. second? I mean, there's a cool... Hank Haney. Hank Haney, they don't speak. I, I was going to say Elin. Yeah. I mean, she was around, obviously, for a while before we were in the biz. So, like, yeah, I don't I don't have a, any full understanding of that relationship. But certainly, if they're pals now, and it sounds like they do a great job together um, with the kids, they're certainly not reminiscing on, you know, Bay Hill in 05. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like he sure? doesn't really get to relish these in any public forum yeah. um so i don't know it was like uh, just sort of hit me. i think like, that's okay, why these happy i think that's why winning again these happy moments from was now. so important like he has mentioned that a ton post carnoustie when in 2018 yeah. he almost won the british open and his kids flew in or whatever and were there for the final day and he embraced them afterwards there's just like a vivid memory of my mind my mind of him walking over um, like the bridge walk kind of that stands above the people and he's got one yeah, kid in each yeah. hand and um, and he just said like, look, I was the YouTube golfer to my family. Uh, they don't remember, you know, the, the family that he keeps right now, super close. They don't remember me winning the 05 Masters. And I, I'm just a highlights guy. And so for him to do that, to almost win the PGA a month later, to win the tour championship and then to win the Masters, and to literally the first people he sees off the green are his family. I mean, I think that made his life. And I don't want to like circumvent everything else that is involved there or like psychoanalyze what matters to Tiger, but that seems like the obvious ones. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and there, there were members of like the old Tiger crew, uh, like, you know, Brian Bell was mm -hmm. there. Some of his old, IMG people that now work for his foundation that he was kind of shouting out. So uh, Joe LaCava was there with his wife, um, Rob McNamara, Mark Steinberg, like team tiger was there. And in fairness, like most of what happens behind closed doors with tiger, like we just won't have a, a great window into, um, but this was, it was revealing. Do you want to talk about Tim Fincham's induction? Is that what you're no, no. kind of, no, sorry. Okay. Don't have anything on that. The only thing I have for the rest of the week is that I thought what Justin Thomas did during his second round was some of the best golf that I've watched in a long time. His He shot 72-69, 72-72, and the 69 was bogey-free. It was during absolutely absurd conditions, and it was when all those tee shots on the 17th hole – could, like Brooks splashed two, Xander splashed horribly, Scotty Scheffler horribly, and Justin Thomas is just carving his golf ball through the air on 17, on 18, on uh, on four. Like these, that's where sawgrass is so fun. Shot shaping, shot shape, bad, bad weather oh, is also man. really like, fun. That that was some of the most entertaining golf. And what did it get, JT? I think he finished like T20. <laughs> um, he didn't, he didn't play that well the rest of the week, but damn it, it was fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, the the storylines bopping around, like some of them we just sort of lost track of because guys vanished, but a lot of stuff happened. A lot of movement happened. Dustin Johnson moved up 50 spots in the leaderboard in the final round. 63. So, I mean, it's good to see the little guy get one there. Um, but like Tommy Fleetwood seemed like he might be in for like a, a – 
PGA Tour status changing event. He wound up 22nd. Um, Francesco Molinari seemed like he might have a signature finish. He faded down. Will Zalatoris, maybe he would get that win. He didn't finish in the top 25. Um, a lot of things were just swirling, like that wind over the 17th green. Good one. Good to end on that one. Uh, I, I think... Uh... Sean, let's remind people about the, the the discount codes that they can get one more time here. Radmore, um, I would recommend... I mean, I literally would recommend everything it was really cold in florida and i was wearing my corduroys i wore my cords on saturday during my simulator session so maybe they're a good luck charm golf cords are happening in 2022 uh so you can go to radmore golf r-a-d-m-o-r golf.com use the code drop zone for 25 percent off and then of course rockform r-o-k-f-o-r-m.com use the code dz20 there get yourself some clothes and some speakers We'll be back here next week.